welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by special guest once again here on the Lady Vol Basketball Fever, and that is Maria Cornelius. Of course, you all know her. She's been on the show several times and, and very gracious every time she appears on here, but she covers Lady Vol Basketball for 207. And also, uh, I just forgot the name of the other thing you write for, Maria, but you also write for another publication, Knox News Daily, right? Correct? Uh, Go Vols 247 and Knox, oh, Knox TN today. I picked that up uh, starting in March. It's been a really good uh, good spot for a column every week. It's Knox TN, like TennesseeTNToday.com. It's a hyper-local site and run by people who have a lot of journalism experience in Knoxville. And I have cats. Y'all know that. They're <laughs> they, they're having, they're decided they'll just participate tonight, apparently. Yeah, it's fine. It's going to be a, a participation episode because it's a uh, mailbag episode for our listeners and I guess social media followers and stuff to want to send in questions. Had, had done plenty of mailbag episodes just kind of in general also specifically about the men's team so I thought why not do a Lady Vol specific one? Why not have Maria on here because uh, she's the best one to have on in my opinion to do an episode like this. So going to do a mailbag episode so thank you to all of you who sent in questions if you're watching this on YouTube you'll see your tweets I uh, actually have one DM as well from somebody, but you'll see your tweets on screen. So if you want to, in the future episodes, want to see your, I guess, yourself, quote unquote, on screen, uh, send in questions. We're happy to always answer questions, even if it's not a mailbag episode, and discuss it as well on a Lady Vol episode or on a Vol episode. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, I'm Nathaniel. This is Lady Vol Basketball Fever, part of Vol Basketball Fever. Give this video a like and share it around as well, and subscribe to the channel while you're here, and also subscribe to the podcast if you prefer the audio medium for the way you get the show. We appreciate all of y'all's feedback, all of y'all's questions, everything you interact with us and do us here in the off season as well, because it's pretty thick of things in the off season. So we really appreciate it. Uh, we're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Well, Maria, we got a bunch of questions as I said. Going to to start off here, combine kind of one from Beth Edwards at UT Lady Vols fan on Twitter, and also from KBS, who's at KBS fifty one on Twitter. Kind of combine, uh, I guess two of theirs for a little bit because KBS also asked a different one, but I'm going to combine uh, KBS's about matchups for the season and Beth Edwards asking about out-of-conference opponents. So going to kind of combine those and say what matchups both in-conference and SEC-wise are we both looking forward to the most because the schedules are have more or less been set. Uh, I don't think we don't know the dates so far right now for uh, the SEC games, but Maria, we just had the Lady Vols announce, I want to say sometime last week, um, about the out-of-conference home games that the Lady Vols are having. And my goodness, it's going to be a huge slate of home games in Thompson Bowling Arena for uh, the out-of-conference matchups because uh, it's UConn for one of them. You have uh, Virginia Tech. You also have, I guess I'll get the dates out there. So you have UConn, uh, date is to be decided. You have Indiana, November 14th, Virginia Tech on December 4th, and UCF, December 14th. So obviously, I think of those, you know, four UConn's the biggest one. But you know, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on you know the other three. But what are your, your opinions to some of the out of conference and in conference matchups looking forward to the most? Because I, I looked at 
you know, when they announced the SEC opponents, not the schedule per se, because again, we don't have the dates and times. Uh, Lady Vols, again, not an easy schedule uh, an SEC play for them. Uh, this time they do get to host South Carolina, the reigning national champions, rather than going to there. But still, it, it's not an easy SEC slate of games for the Lady Vols either. It's, and obviously there's more home games to come out of conference. There'll be, you know, early November, there'll be, uh, well, Thanksgiving week or around Thanksgiving week, of course, they'll be in the Bahamas and there'll be some loaded teams down there. They don't, they know their pool. They're not sure who they'll play yet. Also, you've got a whole bunch of December games that still have to be scheduled for, for non-conference. And then there's, you know, several road games. They got to go to Texas, go to Stanford. Uh, Indiana, as you know, uh, ranked team last year, very good team. Virginia Tech, ranked team last year, very good team. I think the, that too soon ACC poll. I mean, I think they had Virginia Tech top top ten, top eleven. I mean, it's it's oh. Indiana's right up there. UCF, uh, they gave Tennessee all all it could handle. They are a very good defensive team and they bring a ton of pressure they are a hard team to play that have a new coach this year and I think Satya Messer is there now so they're they're going to be fired up to come to obviously to come to Thompson Bowling Arena Um, playing at the summit remains a big deal and beating Tennessee home or away remains a big deal so it 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 will be a fun very fun home schedule this year and UConn we don't know yet you you kind of guess based on previous years it's January early February if if that series were to continue given and I don't know what what it's going to do this will end the you know the the series that had been set up right I say move that thing to November or December that that is not a matchup that Tennessee needs in the middle of the SEC. The SEC is stacked top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I've always thought Tennessee could benefit a little bit more from taking that bye week. It it didn't use you know Pat usually didn't care about the bye week, but there were maybe two teams in the SEC that could beat Tennessee at that point. So right now everybody's tough. So I don't. I would love to see if that if that series continued and and if it does fine if it doesn't fine. I would like to see it move to preseason schedule, not right in the middle of the SEC. The SEC is simply too tough. And, and and what are we talking about? Two, three years? Here comes Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. You just don't, you don't need another, you know, top matchup in your, the SEC is hard enough. Tennessee plays in a, the best women's basketball conference in the country. And you just, that, that needs to be the focus in January and February. But in terms of what I'm looking to forward to, I guess at home, um, I mean, Connecticut's always one you look forward to, particularly this time. Last time Connecticut came, I mean, it was pandemic. You, you could only have a few thousand in there. Um, that few thousand still made a lot of noise, but it would be nice to see Thompson Bowling be that atmosphere that it used to be for a Tennessee-Connecticut game. So in just terms of interest and and a big matchup, obviously interested in that one. I'm, I'm really happy to see Indiana coming in. That is a that is a great series. It was a home and home. It started in 2020 because both Tennessee and Indiana had a pandemic cancellation. Yep, they needed a last minute ad. Tennessee agreed to go to Indiana. I believe that was in December, and then uh, 
Indiana agreed to come back here. Now they couldn't do it last year because their schedule was already set. So I mean, I, I would love to see that series stay in place. That is a Tennessee. That's a good place to play on the road too. have a, have a Midwest presence. So, but I guess what game am I looking forward to the most? Whenever the first one is, uh, well, <laughs> I want to see the full schedule. I know there'll be one exhibition and then, um, uh, I'm trying to think the, I think. I saw the date the other day. The earliest a team can play, I've already forgotten the date. Was it November seventh? No, that's too early. November tenth. I've got to look it back up. There's a, there's a, you know, first date you could actually have a, have a game. It's going to be close to November fourteenth. What was it last year? Now I've gotten myself off. Uh, I know, I know uh, November tenth, the... Southern yeah. Illinois. So I, I, I don't know yet. We don't know. Maybe that. November 14th game is the first one, but I I could see Tennessee trying to slip something in before that if it could. Yeah, I feel like they maybe should too. I don't know that you would necessarily want to open up your I mean, not 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 that you want to shy away from competition, but typically teams open up with a you know a smaller conference opponent and and do that before they hop into a, a big power five power six school. So I think you're right. I think they'll try to slip in you know maybe a, an in-state school or something like that where they can just host a a, a team. And Thompson Bowling got the summit to play them first before they start that game on November 14th. But you're right, that's pretty close to, to I guess, kind of the first where they start playing games. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, there, there's you're not going to lack any um, big time games this year for the Lady Vols. And again, a lot of those, I mean, that's an impressive home slate of games um, on non conference. Like again, you look at the in conference games too, and, and the Lady Vols have some really intriguing, really um, potentially just really fun, entertaining home games in the SEC as well. And, of course, obviously road games, too. I think they play uh, – yeah, they play LSU this year on the road, too. So that's going to be tough um, this year because LSU look like they're going to take a step back, and then all of a sudden, uh, just like they did in every sport this offseason, uh, killed it in the transfer portal. Uh, Kim Mulkey did a great job. LSU baseball did a great job in the transfer portal. Football, I feel like they cleaned up in the transfer portal, too. So they, they did a good job of kind of retooling that roster. Uh, and that kind of – I guess not – I'll save the roster questions – I guess here in just a second, I want to get to KBS's second question that they asked uh, on Twitter, along with the ones asking us about the matchups we're most looking forward to. Uh, said, what can Tennessee do to keep this coaching staff intact for years to come? I think that's a really good question, Maria, because this staff is a very unique and I think really good blend of experience, youth, and I think personalities. Obviously, you know, Coach Sam Williams, uh, really fun on TikTok, really fun on Twitter, but she's she's been around the block for a while. And she's been coaching for a long time, a lot of experience, was a head coach that, you know, Tennessee was able to go take away from a head coaching position to come be an assistant. And, of course, you know, the recruiting, head of recruiting at Tennessee as well. Uh, coach Joy and Corby, she's obviously, I, I think, very talented. I think she has a very high ceiling and a bright future ahead of her. And, of course, John Harper, you know, does he always stay with Coach Kelly Harper at the school? I imagine they probably will, but, you know, maybe he gets a head coaching position offer somewhere that he can't pass up. So I think it's a great question. Yeah, I can't see him. Yeah, I can't either. I can't see him leave, especially with two very young children right. still. I, th- I think yeah. we can count on John staying put. Yeah, I think he does. I think he's probably the one constant. But I look at, at you know, Sam and, and Joy, and I think that's, you know, what can you do and how long can you keep them here? Because I think those two are just really, really good assistant coaches. And I think it's really maybe a matter of time before Coach Williams gets another another shot at being a head coach somewhere. I think it's a matter of time, too, before, you know, 
uh, Coach Joy gets a, a shot. She was named to a list of, I think, one of the top, what, top 25, top 20 yeah, young assistants in women's basketball or something like that. So, I mean, she, she I think, has a bright future ahead of her. So, I, I mean, you do everything you can to keep them, um, but I don't know how long this assistant coaching staff will be able to stick around with this new, like, you know, what they are right now because uh, they're going to be in high demand, I think, especially if they, you know, lay balls go out and have the year that you're expecting to have this year. It it's it's an excellent question, and I'll quote Pat Summit to some extent. She used to say, "If nobody wants my assistant coaches, they must not be very very good." So she was aware that that you, I mean, like Nikki Caldwell, she went she went to UCLA. Um, Mickey DeMoss, she ended up becoming a head coach. Um, I, I I believe Joy obviously is a, is I think in her I'm going to guess just when she graduated college you know she's probably 30s early 30s right I think she graduated 2010 so according to her bio on UT's website she was born in 1988 so yeah about mid 30s just about okay she I mean she's a very I mean she's a, I, I I could see her you know moving up like you said, to a head coach, Samantha Williams, she's done it before. Obviously if she went back to it, it would be a, you know, a much bigger school. I do think right now, I mean, both are very happy here. Both uh, enjoy. I mean, Tennessee is a big deal. I, I, I have heard about, you know, coaches leave here as they climb up the ladder and you definitely want to climb up that ladder but they realize sometimes when you get there, what you left and the fan support is not there. The administrative support is not there. So it would have to be a great fit because both of them would deserve a, a great fit. The biggest way you keep your staff intact, and this is this is more on um, Tennessee administration as a whole, is you pay them well. Yep. Uh, Tennessee lost Jolette Law. When she was here, she you know went to South Carolina. She's still at South Carolina because South Carolina could pay her more, and Tennessee couldn't match it. She also had her her parents lived there. Her mother has now passed, but her mother she wanted to be closer to her mother. So you had emotional reasons too. There there can always be family situations that we don't know about. So it's it's a very good question, um, and it's hard to believe they've only been here one season. It I feels know. like both of them have been here forever. I mean, they've only made it through one full season. Uh, Samantha Williams on, on TikTok is just, just fun to watch. I, I, they, I, they're in a good place and I hope they can keep this staff intact for quite some time, not only because they're being paid well, because they're being very successful at the same time, Pat, never stood in the way of her assistance and I can't imagine Kelly doing it either. When you have an opportunity that makes sense for whatever reason, you're running your own program. There's a, there could be a family matter. You need to be closer here. You, whatever reason are you want, you, you want, you don't want to be an assistant coach, you know, all the time or associate head coach. You want to move up. And I I mean, that's why you're doing this. So, I mean, Kelly, Kelly would get that of all people. She she's started as an administrative assistant, assistant coach. She's this is her fourth head coaching stop. She certainly understands that that her coaches are are going to want to pursue you know a, 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 their careers, and that direction could go could go in, in various places. But for now, 
I, I mean, everybody seems fine. Everybody's on on task. Everybody's on track. Everybody has one goal, and it's it is uh it's one of the best you know co- collective coaching staffs that 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 Tennessee's had in a while in terms of everybody seems to know their role and. And head coaches, I'll say this, and Pat was the same way. Head coaches are not easy to play to coach, (laughs) to play for or to work for. They don't get to be head coaches without being driven and competitive and a little bit off. I've always said reporters and coaches actually get along so well because they're both just really a little bit off. Nobody really thinks, you know what I'll do for a living? Work seven days a week and never be off. I think that sounds great. So... And reporters are kind of the same way because there's never really any downtime. I mean, you, the, when the season ends, you, you kind of recharge a minute, but next thing you know, it's cranking right back up again. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it, it's, it, it, it's a good, it's a great staff. And I, like I said, I love that question. I mean, you keep them intact by relationships, challenges, giving them a voice, which they have. Uh, listening to them, respecting them, rewarding them, and and making sure they have the opportunity to grow. And when it's when they see the opportunity to um to take that plunge, then then uh, you know I I like Pat. I think you know you get behind them. You 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 wish them well, and they're always like Pat says, "Lady Ball for life." Yeah, you make a great point there about um, how Pat kind of viewed it, and I think obviously with. You know Kelly playing under her. I think she she has taken a lot of uh, tutelage from her, and I think you're right. I don't think she's going to be one that's going to get in, in the way of her assistance from moving on. And like you said, you know it's a compliment to you and your your program and coaching staff if other schools are ca- trying to poach them away from you. Uh, before we move on, to the next question. By the way, the the award or the I guess recognition that Coach McCorvey got was the most impactful high major assistant coaches in Division One women's basketball. That was by the Silver Waves Media. So that was the um, actual kind of recognition that she got for her reputation. Again, she's she actually just had a birthday. Her birthday was July fifteenth, so she just turned thirty four and is already you know a a I, I think like I said a rising star in the women's basketball world and this assistant coaching and potentially future head coach as well. Uh, but Maria, the great resume. What, what was yeah. she coached at her alma mater, St. John's, yep. the Michigan. I'm Florida doing this State. by memory, Florida State and Tennessee. I mean, that, that's a great. Mm-hmm. It's a great resume, and she's bit quite young for this, you know. So, and and then Samantha, she just—I mean, her experience speaks for itself. I I, I do believe that uh, she—I mean, she wanted to play here. She was recruited by Tennessee, and Tennessee ended up taking Lisa Harrison out of Kentucky. I think I think she recognizes the the almost full circle of of being here. Now, I'm not saying she won't be a sought after, you know, head coach. But I think she's I think right now she's in her element and she's uh she's very happy to be in Knoxville. And I, I want her here j- just because her TikToks are, <laughs> are are just must view. She is she is great on there. Her personality, she has uh, just a, a fantastic personality. I wish that she would be able to, to like I actually get to meet and talk with the media more because she she just I love hearing her talk and the things she says and how she delivers it. So um Let's move on, I guess, to the next. I guess, I guess I'll combine these two here. There's there's one that's on Twitter, and then one that we got from uh, Julia Gregg on an inst- from a, a message on Twitter as well. So I'll kind of combine the two. There's also another one from Julia that I'll ask in a second too. Uh, but this one on Twitter and the mentions was from Tennessee Thunder. 
at Tennessee or at TN Thunder B Ball on Twitter. Who will make the most impact coming off the bench, in your opinion? And then Julia Gregg, who is at Julia Gregg three on Twitter, said, "Who do you see as an early starting five, and who is the sixth person this year?" I think you know you can be the 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 sixth woman off the bench and not be maybe the most impact coming off the bench, but typically if you're the you know the sixth man of the year award and and, and sixth woman of the year award are awarded to the most impactful bench player. So that's why I thought just kind of combine the two from Tennessee Thunder and Julia. That's a question that you and I I think Maria have kind of danced around multiple times on the podcast already of, of trying to figure out a starting five, trying to figure out, you know, who, who's going to be that main five rotation, then who's the, the sixth player off the bench. Not an easy one to figure out. And again, we I think we've also talked about that it, it could also depend a lot on matchups because you can go bigger uh, for more of a game. You can go smaller for more of a game. You can have a mix. You can be more three-point heavy. You can be more post-heavy. So I, I think it, I think it kind of depends. I think... Nailing down a starting five, again, assuming everyone's healthy, you, I think you're going to obviously have in Horston and Tamari Key. There, that's no question to me. I, I think I, th- I think personally Jordan Walker starts at the two because I think she's just as experienced in this system, has been here for uh, several years at this point, and has proven that she can play at a really high level. So you put her at the two where she's probably more comfortable as well. And then I think you're le- looking at two of the transfers, and I, I just can't imagine Rakia Jackson not starting. Um, and then at the point guard is where you put in Jazz Powell because that's your true point guard you brought in to man that spot. I think that'll be kind of the main starting five. That'll be the the, the five players who maybe get the most minutes, you know, uh, Tamari, depending on foul trouble and stuff too, and maybe how Julian Hollingshed comes along. But I'm very interested in your thoughts, uh, Maria, because I, I think that'll be the starting five, but I don't know that you will have, you know, more that you'll add to that, and maybe there's someone else I'm maybe not thinking of that could be in the starting five. But I'm intrigued to see who you think is the the sixth person, kind of the, the one off the bench who gets the most minutes, maybe makes spot starts here and there, because um, there are a lot of options <laughs> for that on the roster. I mean, you look at Caroline Striplin, who you know started to come on last year. You look at Brooklyn Miles, Sarah Puckett. Really, those two I think played a lot of you know key minutes for the Lavals last year. Even Kaya Wynn, if her offense comes along, it, she's someone who could really you know play a lot more. Tess Darby is someone who played a lot and it was a three-point specialist and started a lot of games last year. Can't forget Marta Suarez, who missed all of last season, but was a projected starter before the year. And again, you also have Jillian Hollingshed, who's going to play because she's going to spell Tamari Key and also could possibly play the four while Key plays the five. So, I mean, the question of who's the most impact off the bench and who's the the sixth player, I think that's a tougher one than even the starting five. Starting five, I I think you can kind of nail down for the most part. Um, But man, that, that person who gets the I guess like the sixth most minutes. I don't know. It, that's going to be a tough one to try to predict. It, it, it's hard to do it too, because I mean, right now, only thing you hear are you could see some video clips. I mean, players put them up. Tennessee puts them up. You, you hear chatter. I mean, you, you, I've been around this program 25 years, 30, I don't know, almost 30. You hear chatter. I mean, there, I get chatter will get back to me about who's looking really good. If, I will say that with the caveat every time it's July, you know, tell me who's looking good in October, November, but it's, it's still interesting to to hear. Um, And you got a lot of kids. I mean, the, the, apparently then pickup games are not, you know, coaches don't, but those are what the kids do on their own. They, they, they do the pickup games. And, and I think that's, I love that where they just play, they call their own fouls, you know, that's not open, of course. I mean, their friends can come in or, you know, whoever they, they want to, 
they want to, you know, bring in or some of them. I mean, Alexis Hornbuckle used to go over to the rec center and just watch some games with some guys and jump in and start playing with them. This was pre, pre Pat, pre Pratt Pavilion being open. So those, I mean, the chatter coming out of those is that these kids are going after it. Um, I, I do think, I mean, you look at, they, te- I mean, the one starter, they lost technically two starters, Ray Burrell and Alexis Dye. So it, it's Jordan Horson and Tamari Key, Rakia Jackson. I mean, I don't, those three are just easy, easy picks. I mean, those are just easy picks. I mean, Tamari's the greatest shot blocker in Tennessee history now. She's six, seven to me. She looks six, seven to me. I saw her the other day at Orange Mountain Designs and I'm like, I think you grew. <laughs> You're at least six, six. We know, but I think she's, She's, she is just, I mean, she just goes and goes and goes when you look up at her. So, um, Jillian Hollingshed, I was able to see her a little bit at that camp. I mean, they were coaching kids. They weren't playing, you know, they were, but she's every inch of six, five. I'm not, you know, she's obviously coming back from, you know, the knee injury. She had the, you know, scope surgery, not a major surgery. So, but apparently she could play. She can flat out play. So I'm not saying she's in the starting lineup, but I'm not going to say she's not right now. I think, I think she's going to make a case for it. But like I said, it's July. Then, I mean, the two players that were in it last year, Tess, Darby, Jordan Walker, those players are competitive ball players. It's not like they're just going to give it up. Like, okay, I'll just, you know, you could start over me. They're going to fight to keep it. So Kelly's got one heck of a good problem to have in that. While she's got to put five on the floor to open the game, and fans will seize on that. Well, you know how fans are going to break down every starting lineup, every matchup. She can make a – I mean, she's almost got two starting fives. She can – depending on what she needs at what matchup, could in some cases determine what that starting five looks like. If it's a big team, if it's a quick team – I mean, Brooklyn Miles, she showed that she could, t- she could change the tone and tenor of a game. Kaya Wynn, she is, I mean, she's a sophomore now. She's more confident. She knows what she's doing. She's, she knows how she fits in. I mean, I, I, there's going to be a lot of players that have the potential to start and the potential to contribute and narrowing that down to five is, is going to be hard. The three, the, the, there's three obvious, you know, Jillian, I mean, not Jillian, uh, Rakia Jackson, Jordan Horston, Tamari Key. I mean, that that's – plus, does Kelly lean more toward experience? Right. Mm. And, then, and we hadn't even talked about Justine Passat. I was about to mention her. We, we have a five-star we talked about. In her court. I mean, she's going to get on the court. I'm not, I think the great thing right now is Kelly does not have to start a freshman. You could, They can ease in. They if, if you're good enough to start as a freshman, fine. Mm. But you – but I think we've talked about this before. I think freshmen can get tossed in and it, it can impede them when they, when they have to be being asked to do too much too soon. I think Renaya Davis was a good case of that. She had to do too much too soon. And obviously she developed into a very good player. I think if she had been able to play behind somebody her freshman year, it may, it may have helped her development a little bit quicker. Yeah, I, th- I think even Jordan Horston, you look at just the turnover issues that she had her freshman year because she had to play so much and she had to handle the ball so much. If she'd been able to, you know, like you said, learn some more, you know, she would have had those issues, I don't think, as early as she had in her career. 
If you if you need the smaller, quicker guards at, at points, you've got Brooklyn, you've got uh, Jasmine Powell. If you've got a tall team, and not, I mean, you Jordan Horsey can play point. She can always shift over if you need to. She can play one, two, or three, really, which is an incredibly versatile player. Uh, Jillian uh, definitely can play five. Definitely can play four. I mean, she she's a she could be a stretch four. I, I I just can't. Now, I some my my like wow, what size? I'm going here strictly by size, not how I mm-hmm. think would start. I'm imagining if you had Tamari Key and Jillian Hollingshed in the, on the court at the same time at six six and six five. And then Rakia Jackson, six six two, Jordan Horston, six two, and then you know you could go with a standard point guard. Uh, I mean, or you could shift Horston to the. I mean, you. I'm just. I mean, that's that's not a fair. huge team. It's not fair to the opponents, is what it is. And I mean, you can't you can't double any of them. I mean, you you can't double Tamari or Jillian's going to come open. You can't double can't double Rakia. You can't double Jordan. Jordan. I mean, they're Jordan's too good a passer. You double her, she'll find the open person. You double Tamari, she'll kick back out to a three point shooter. I mean, in that lineup, it, the only thing I could see is maybe you want a pure three point shooter out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, th- then I mean, who, then you could start looking at at who you've got that are that are some. I mean, Sarah Puckett. Teresa, uh, Tess Darby, I mean, Justine Passat. It, you know, that's a great question. I, I jokingly asked Kelly that and she just laughed. And I'm, and I, but I think, you know, she says sometimes I think about it on the way to the game. She, she'll mix it up if she needs to. Mm-hmm. So I've always said, and you've heard me say this here before, who starts matters to the fans. Who finishes to me is more important. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've, we've said Who's that on the floor in crunch time. You, you and I have said that. I've said on the the other show with with Gene as well, talking about the men's team. It, it's more. It's not as important who is in there for the first four minutes. It's the most important who's in there for the last four minutes. So when you look at the men's team last year, last four minutes of the game, it was almost always Kennedy Chandler, Sakai Ziegler, uh, Santiago Vescovi, Josiah Jordan James, and you had a five out there who you know injuries changed kind of who that was sometimes. But you, that was your finisher. Your finishers. Sakai didn't start. But he finished. And for the Lady Vols, it was a lot of times it was kind of the same starting five was the finishing. But a lot of times last year for Lady Vols, you know, before injuries and stuff happened, it'd be Tamari, uh, Ray, Jordan Horston, although they, those two didn't get to play with each other too much last year, unfortunately. Um, Jordan Walker, and then usually Tessa Darby was the other one out there. But sometimes it ended up being, um, sometimes it ended up being Sarah Puckett, and sometimes it ended up being um, Brooklyn Miles as well because of just her defense and her her intensity and her speed so but i, well, I would Alexis say a lot of times died yep, that's true like died i don't get all, i know and, and oh i didn't even mention caroline stripling i mean I she she's a big body I, and I, you know sophomores kaya yeah. win brooklyn miles caroline stripling sarah puckett they're better as sophomores freshman year is overwhelming mm-hmm. but for neither for all four it wasn't if the moment wasn't too big. I mean, they stepped up in postseason. All four of them did. So they're, they they're entering this season with a lot of a lot of confidence and and feeling. You know, you just you're more comfortable. You know what you know what traveling looks like. You you know what's expected in the weight room. You know what's expected at practice. And it's 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 a veteran team. I mean that that's yeah. the biggest thing. And we hadn't even talked about Jasmine Franklin. Because yeah, right true. now, I mean, she, you know, she had the she had the knee injury in December, but I mean, she's an incredibly rangy, athletic post player. 
that can rebound and 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 I mean this team we thought they were a good rebounding team last year. This this is a team that absolutely can own the glass. I mean they just are relent could be relent. Alexis die they're going to miss because you talk about somebody relentless on the glass. Somebody's got to be Alexis die. And I, I think Jasmine Franklin has the potential to be that kind of player on the glass. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping she's recovered enough because, like you said, just watching her film and her stats from last year, she was, I mean, averaging a double-double basically last year. And I think leading, uh, was leading the country in rebounds before she got hurt, um, at least Division One or, I mean, uh, power conferences or whatever. But, yeah, she's very talented. Uh, I hope her recovery has gone well. She's, I think she, her and Justine are only two have not been able to get on the show that were new additions to the roster. So uh wish we had got both of them on there. But it's okay. I got a lot of other players if you all want to go back and rewatch those interviews uh, I got to talk to several of the new Lady Vols so they're, they they all gave some good thoughts and opinions on why they came to Tennessee which leads me into this question by Chad Kirk which will also lead me into the last one by uh, Julia in a second as well but um, Chad Kirk who is at KirkChad98 on Twitter asked us how has Kelly changed the program the culture of the program excuse me uh, since she has arrived and what's the excitement you're hearing from the recruits that come visit and the feedback you're hearing for them of this coaching staff. So kind of, I guess, kind of throwing three questions in there at, at, you know, and one, but they all kind of, I think, get to the same point of how has this coaching staff, specifically with Kelly Harper, who's been here, you know, all, all I guess now four years on Knoxville, you know, how, how has the culture changed of the program since she's arrived and kind of what, you know, how does that blend into what the recruits have saying? And I, I know from just me, you know, obviously where you covered it more on the ground than I did, but I know I was I was still as a full time media member when she got hired. I remember being at her opening press conference and thinking she has a lot of work ahead of her, but she has the right attitude. Um, and I I thought even then that um, she had a bright potentially bright future ahead of her, despite what people were maybe some detractors were saying about her time at you know b- before she got to or her, her last big school at NC State or whatever. I thought you know she has the potential to do great things here. I know from talking to the players like Rakia and Jazz Powell that. They, when I asked them kind of what led them to pick Tennessee, immediately they mentioned culture. Immediately they mentioned the family feel. I know that that word gets thrown around a lot in college athletics, especially family. But it just talked about, I think Jazz said that she was greeted at the airport and she never, she wasn't greeted at the airport by any other visit she was on. Just the way the players talked about other players, the way the players talked about the coaches, the way the coaches talked to her. Um, and we I heard the story of Justine when she had that interview. I don't remember when it was, but it was when she's you know, obviously still in high school and they're talking about you know, why she chose Tennessee about Kelly laying out the roadmap. I had this just big actual, like actual kind of map that she laid out with her and her family there and talking about the roadmap of her career at Tennessee and kind of how they envisioned her um, being used in Tennessee and how, you know, how she could thrive in Tennessee. I, I think that that to me, it just, you know, without trying to dog too much of what happened before. And I think, I think it just, you know, for, again, for me being an outsider perspective, really paying a lot more close attention in the last year or so, uh, Maria, it's been like the culture isn't it's a word that gets thrown in a lot family gets thrown in a lot but i think this team you don't have to be a like psychologist to watch the videos and watch some of the interviews and things they say to know they legit care about each other like this this is a legitimate tight-knit culture that every coach dreams of having at their school whether it's football basketball baseball softball tennis like if you're a coach of a of a team you want you, 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 I think you aspire to have the kind of culture that I think Kelly Harper has established in Tennessee. And I think it, it, it can't be 
that can't be taken for granted because not every team has that. Not every Tennessee team in the past has had that. Even you know some of the Pat teams I don't imagine had amazing culture. They they, they always had an established culture because Pat you know did that. But like you can't take for granted having a strong culture, and I think Kelly Harper has done a. a in such a short time too and especially dealing with COVID and stuff that she had to deal with like she had all the factors working against her and yet she's I think got this team to bond together and especially the core of the team the last you know last year and this year I think it's just a very strong core and I think it, the culture has just been worked over and is and it, to me it's the strongest it's been in a very long time I, I agree I want to shout out their academics too yes. I mean they're mm-hmm. top in the SEC that that's I mean, Kelly said that was her, her, you know, obviously the way we compete on the court is a priority, but also the way we compete in the classroom. That does not mean that every player has to come in here, you know, 4.0 and, and honor roll every semester. But you, you've got to, she, she puts a, a strong connection between do you compete in the classroom and on the court? So I want to shout out their ac- academics too. You mentioned culture is, you know, one of those words that's becoming a buzzword that can be overused, but it has been become readily apparent how important it is for a team and a team's success. Uh, particularly as, and I'm not casting, you know, judgment on any, places happen because I don't know the details, but we've we've had multiple high profile accounts of what players describe as a very uh difficult place to play and to, with coaches being anywhere from verbally abusive to you know throwing a basketball at a player. That style of coaching is is gone. It's not gonna work with these kids. And, and you either adjust or you get out of the game. I mean, that, you know, the old, you can't put hands on a player. I'm not talking about around the, you know, a hug or a wrap, put, putting your hand on their shoulder or, I mean, you, you cannot do things that I think have maybe have been, have been hung, hangovers from the past that, that have been allowed to happen. Uh, parents aren't going to stand for it. I mean, look at Rakia Jackson. I mean, she was very upfront. Why did you leave Mississippi State? Culture. Just uh, I wanted to make it work, and it would not work. When she was on her re- recruiting visit, her mother was, was watching team interaction, culture, coaches. So Kelly understands that, and that for a team to win big, you've got to come. You got to come together. And you've got to pull for each other. I think one thing the players said that they're saying this year is one unit, one goal. So st- stay together, stay focused. Now, that doesn't mean with any team you're not going to have episodes pop up. You don't put that many people, male or female, in one place for those many months where you're together almost seven days a week and not have issues pop up. It, yep. it, it, you can't. I mean, issues pop up in families. Yep. So, But I do think... They they have been the most disruptive. They are not one unity, you know, unity, one goal, one unit. My cats are just, you know, all in it for themselves this whole this whole evening. Like we are the star of the house. Yeah, they are they are not uh Kelly Harper approved teammates right now. No, they are not being good teammates. Not to say, well, Puff is. She's over in her bed. So shout out to Puff. But I I think Kelly saw that some things needed to be fixed. I mean it 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 was a splintered team and losing will do that to a team. I mean, that, yeah. that team was losing in that, that last season before Kelly arrived. And if anything will 
torpedo culture, it is it is losses. And and you could see that that players were I mean, I, I go back to that Vanderbilt game that they lost at home. I mean, players were checked out on the yeah. court. I had never seen such on the court. They, players were just in their own, like in a timeout, they were just standing. I mean, I'm like, th- this team is just, they're done. I mean, you could you could see it at, at that point that they, they were done. So, you know, Kelly had to had to fix that. And Part of that is your staff, and and remarkably, I mean, she's already had two changes there, and and has rolled into, um, I, which is why that was a great question. This this staff has bought in to all of the culture and and how things are done, and and also demanding. I mean, we've all seen that video clip. I think Sam or Lady Voss posted it again today with Kelly storming into that locker room. That doesn't the good culture doesn't mean you're not tough right. and demanding. It it means the players know when that moment is over, you care about them. You've got their back. You'll take care of them. It 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 resonates a lot with parents. I mean, this this is hard for parents, particularly when parents see these accounts of what's happening at other schools. I mean, just the fear that that your kid could be going through that, and your and your kid's probably not going to tell you. They're you know because they've been taught as athletes, you just suck it up and and deal with it, but. Mm-hmm. As as far as uh, recruits coming on campus, I've always said if Tennessee can get a recruit here, their chances of signing that player go up so much more because it is it is an impressive campus, particularly in the fall on football weekends and all the orange and all of the synergy on campus. Um, I mean, t- there's a lot of buzz with Tennessee now. It, it's a tricky thing right now trying to deal with high school recruits with this new portal. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw the suggestion that the one year it won't even be a, the one year sit out thing. It'll just be whenever you could transfer, transfer four times if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it, uh, that is a, that is where Kelly has excelled with that, with that transfer portal because it has changed recruiting. At the same time, you want to build players through your program. As, as, as high school freshmen or as high as college freshmen coming in from high school. But you also have to do so with the realization that they may or may not stay four years. I would not want to be the one who has to rearrange all those recruiting puzzle pieces right now, trying to figure that out. I do think there's a lot of buzz about Tennessee, particularly how well they have done in the, in the transfer portal, how well they are expected to do. Nothing helps recruiting more than winning yeah. big, too. <laughs> yeah. And if nothing helps NIL more than winning big, too. So if, if this team can like cut nets, like get, get a, you know, get a regular season championship, get an SEC tourney championship. I'm not saying all in one year, get, you know, get an elite go if you want to go yeah. into all in one year, <laughs> but it, it's hard to double up. The yeah. tournament and the and the regular season. It's not an easy feat. Uh I mean South Carolina didn't do it last year. Can you know Kentucky got them. So you know, get that elite eight. That's the big one. Get that elite eight net cut down. Get get to the final four. I mean, win a national championship. Those nothing boosts recruiting like that. It, it that there's no substitute for that. Uh Right now, Tennessee is is selling a winning tradition, winning potential, and and really an, an 
an incredible culture. And I mean, let's be honest in terms of even with Tennessee not having been to a final four since 2008, Tennessee basketball is still considered a standard bearer, a, 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 a legacy program, a, a destination, what they call that destination location. I mean, Tennessee women's basketball is still a big, big deal. Get, get this team to a national championship and, and you're golden for the rest of your life. I mean, at Tennessee. So it's, I think the culture is, I think Kelly worked hard to recruit players that fit. She, uh, she vets players. I mean, she can, she could work for the FBI if she wanted to get out of coaching. <laughs> they vet players. They vet parents. They, they, they call principals. They, they talk to AAU coaches, high school coaches. I, I think that's part of the culture is that they're getting people who fit that culture, who fit with the vision that they have. Mm-hmm. And once you do, and, and Holly even said very candidly after, after she exited Tennessee, she said, I wish I'd recruited more glue players, not just the talent, mm-hmm. the, the players that can come in and give you right what you need when you need it. The more, you know, she recruited a whole lot of talent that never quite meshed. And, and Kelly's very deliberate with what she does, the decisions she makes. I mean, she's not saying she makes the right one every time, but she, she thinks them all through a lot. So I don't know if that answered the question, but a lot of it is the way they recruit and then what they present when they're here, the standard of behavior. I mean, you're not going to have the coach allegations here of coaches, you know, screaming at players. Kelly's not much of a screamer. She also doesn't cuss. Um, So, I mean, I I can't say that I don't, so I'm I'm not (laughs) judging coaches that do, but she's not somebody whose personality lends itself to, to that kind of scenario. Does that mean she won't storm into the locker room and make very pointed remarks about what she wants done? Absolutely not. We, we've we've all seen that. I mean, there's a there's a lot of Pat in her, and there's a lot of Kelly in Kelly. That's I mean, it's who Kelly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You, I mean, Rick Barnes same way. Like he doesn't cuss and doesn't cuss you out, but you know he's mad at you, and he will. He's not afraid to go off either. He doesn't have quite the commanding presence. I don't think that Kelly Harper has, but both coaches Tennessee has in the basketball programs at UT. Um, you're. I would be afraid to make them mad. I would be afraid to mess up and, it, you know, not mess up in like in the fact you know that you know I, I just messed up, but mess up something that they've preached on and harped on that you know you should mess up. I would not want to get Kelly Harper or Rick Barnes mad at me in, in that scenario. Um, and one other thing I'll add is is Kelly protects that locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rick and and I I love listening to his interviews and he's been around a long time. He he can make some very candid remarks about players. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. very candid. Kelly's style is, is she doesn't do that. Whatever issue she has with a player, they they stay in that locker room. And and I think Kelly is does that because that's what she preferred as a player. Um, and fully aware that Pat Summit used the media to motivate players all the time. I mean that oh, yeah. Pat's personality, Rick, you can get away with it. Kelly. I think she wants to make sure the she's she's going to be very she's very careful what she says about players in her in her interviews. Very very careful. She she takes care of things behind the scenes, and and I, players are going to appreciate that and their parents, oh, yeah. particularly in the social media 
Hey, you see, Pat didn't have to deal with that. If Pat had criticized a player before in social media, it would have like dominated. It, it's it's an echo chamber. It, it can be overwhelming for the player. So it, I think it's a it's a very good approach in this era of twenty four seven news. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. Didn't really think about it that way, but you know, Pat didn't coach in the social media era. Her her the end of her coaching career came kind of around when Twitter was kind of getting bigger and, and becoming more of a thing that we use to talk about sports. Um, that's a good point. Um, and if you missed the, you know, 11 p.m. newscast of sports, yeah. you, you didn't see it again. You didn't see mm-hmm. clips all over Twitter, you know, you know, clip sound bites. It's it was a different era. Now you can clip anything and, it, you know, it can go viral or you can. It, it's 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 a it's nobody really wants to go viral for the wrong reasons. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so you mentioned NIL. We obviously talked about culture. This will be the last question we have here. It's the second one from Julia Gregg, and I, I thought this was an interesting one too. That's why I wanted to end on it. Um, her second question that she sent uh, via the DMs was, has the culture outweighed the NIL deals for female athletes in getting transfers to commit to UT? I think that's interesting to talk about because we don't, you know, the, surprisingly, we don't. I don't feel like there's been as much talk about NIL with women's athletics, but to me, it's surprising because you look at the uh, the stat breakdowns of it. And I remember seeing we talked, we you and I talked about this on the show, Maria. I think you and me, and also I think Cora Hall of Knox News did too. Um, like women's athletics in general, I think really women's basketball was one of the top three and uh, like NIL earnings for like kind of the early stages of it when it, when those numbers were released. I want to say earlier this year for like kind of the. I guess last quarter or so of, of 2021. Um, but women's basketball, I mean, a lot of that had to do with, you know, look at what Paige Becker's got, look kind of like the big stars of women's basketball got. But I mean, you look at Tennessee, you have Orange Mountain Designs, you have other stuff now with, you know, Spire kind of trying to do a little bit more other collectives, trying to help out with the uh, Lady Vols basketball specifically too, but just Lady Vols sports in general, just women's athletics at, at Tennessee. Um, but I, I would say... I would be interested more to hear your answer to that because I didn't when I talked to the players I didn't really ask them about NIL like I did ask Jazz Powell and Rakia, um, and uh, oh my goodness I'm sorry and, and Julian I, I didn't ask them specifically about NIL because uh, I didn't want I just didn't want to get into it I didn't know if that was a bunch of conversations they'd had I, I'd probably feel more comfortable asking you know this time next year when I talk to commits and stuff like that about it because it's been a whole kind of whole year year and a half almost two years of NIL being a conversation but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that Maria because. I th- I personally think just from what I've seen and heard and talked to from the players and just other stuff too, I actually do think the culture played a larger part than NIL did. I I think maybe I don't think that the to me the even in football where the money's really being thrown around, um, I don't think the majority of players are making the decision based solely off NIL. Even the ones that are getting a lot of money, I don't think it's solely based off NIL because those those guys can make that money really anywhere. If you can make a million dollars at one school for NIL, you can probably make a million dollars at another school. So I think to me, the NIL plays a factor in it. Um, but really, it's still, I think the majority, ninety, anywhere between 95 to 98% of the student, or the you know high school recruits, the transfers out there um, in all sports are making the decisions based off of fit, off of relationships, and off of playing time more than they are NIL. And I think NIL plays into it because if you're coming from a small school to a Tennessee, obviously that's going to be a big school. If you're if you're coming from a you know a, a 
I mean, just, just for example, Jasmine Franklin coming from Missouri State to Tennessee, that's obviously a lot more of an NIL opportunity for her. Um, just even really, I don't know how much Missouri State even has NIL for the you know women's basketball program there. So that's obviously you know a bigger opportunity for her there. But there was also the fact that she had the opportunity to play for Tennessee. She knew Coach Kelly Harper. Uh, and Tennessee had the need for her for playing time for a, another kind of post position. So I think, to me, I would say yes, but I want to hear your, your answer because you're, you're obviously more in the weeds in it than I am. But I think just based off of the things I know just from talking to some of the athletes and stuff, that, yeah, I think NL plays a part, but I think culture played a, a bigger part in Tennessee being as attractive as it has been uh, to the transfers this past, what, year or so. I think both are factors. But I would agree with you that that right now, I think culture is a bigger factor. And I agree also, if you're a top player, I mean, the NIL opportunities are going to be there. Because if you're a top player, you're probably going to go to a high-profile school. And so, and the big money, there's been, you know, some cases of it, different places. But it, it's not routine right now on the women's side of the game. So, I know, you know, for Rakia Jackson, I mean, I, I think the opportunity for it was was certainly a, a you know, a, a bonus. But was she shopping for a new school based just on NIL opportunities? No. I do think for a, a transfer player that may have one, maybe two years to, to capitalize on it, I, I do believe a higher profile program would would gain an edge. Because the the advertisers or the people are the people with goods or cars. I mean, you know, she she you've seen her Instagram. She's that's a a Michigan dealership with that car she has. That is a very very nice ride. If she goes to if she stays at Mississippi State, does she get that? No. I mean, I'm just to be blunt, no. I mean, you come to Tennessee, that opportunity open opens up. There may be an isolated case here or there where there's such a good deal at an NIL school, you know, as as booster money becomes more involved, that type of thing where a player's like, I'm going there. You know, th- this is where I can make the most NIL or impact. But I also can't see a player going somewhere and – like not liking the school, not liking the coach, not liking, you know, not feeling like you fit in. I mean, you, you're still 18, 19 years old. This is one of the biggest decisions of your life. Now, if it's life changing money, I, I certainly understand, but, and, you know, NIL is, you know, month to month, year to year. I mean, so, I mean, if you, players aren't happy where they are right now, they can transfer, but I, I don't, I don't see NIL ever becoming the factor. Will it be a big factor? Yeah, it's going to get bigger. It, uh, we'll, we'll see that as, as time goes on. I mean, we're still only at one year into this. With and There's different state law. I mean, right now there's no uniform consistency. <laughs> right. In one state, you can do this. You can't do it in this state. You can hire this person to help. No, you can't do it that in this state. I mean, initially, Tennessee couldn't use the logo, the Tennessee of the Lady Vault logo. That was the initial ruling. Then state law changed. And now you're seeing, you know, on the men's side, women's side, the logo with the shirt. So it, this is still in its infancy of determining what it could be. I mean, yes, with football, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've seen that Arch Manning apparently has not pursued anything, but I've seen the estimates of what he could be worth. Um, yeah. 
And it, so it has it changed college sports? Absolutely. Um, but how, where you fit, where where you practice, I mean, it, the NIL money, if you don't perform, is not going to come. It may come initially based on your who you are. But let's say your team doesn't do well or you don't do well. I mean, there's the, the one thing about being that when you become an NIL athlete, it, it forces you to grow up maybe a little bit quicker than you than you wanted to, because now you're responsible for your name, image and likeness. And you have to be very careful how you manage that. But if for players who want to go pro, who intend to go pro, it's, it's a great, it's like an internship almost of figuring that whole process out. So I, I think culture definitely is more important right now than NIL, but I can see how they could, they would, they co, they would coexist. I mean, NIL is a big deal. I mean, the fact that Tennessee had it had Orange Mountain Designs, a store that had been in place, you know, 14 years, 13 years when it came came through, was able, you know, already had the vendors, already had the licensing. You know, you can move right into that. I think I think that that is beneficial for Tennessee and will be beneficial going forward. But I mean, schools, I mean, the top coaches know where this is going and and. Mm-hmm. And all of them are trying to figure out what can I and what can I not do because it's not all. I mean, it's not really clear. It changes a lot. So it's. I mean, there's been some high dollar women contracts, and and I would say more are coming. But like you said, if you're really good, the the, the opportunities are going to come. Now, does that also mean those opportunities are more plentiful in a higher profile market? I mean, absolutely. Like I said, Rakia Jackson at, at Mississippi State is not having a Michigan dealership <laughs> offer her a vehicle mm-hmm. uh, as part of NIL. Rakia Jackson at Tennessee is because Tennessee is a name program. Do I think that affected her decision? I think it was a factor, but I think she made it perfectly clear. I am looking for a place where it feels like family where it feels like I fit in, where the teammates are pulling for each other, where I'm comfortable with my team. Because all the NIL is great, particularly if you can find a way to pocket some of that money, leave leave college not only without, you know, debt, but leave with, some, you know, at least a little nest egg of some kind. But that's not going to get you through that 6 a.m. workout and that long bus ride or that long plane ride and, and class the next morning the system around you, what's in place, the support system, your coaches, your teammates, the academics. I mean, you still need a college degree. I mean, women need to – you're not going to see women leaving early without without a degree. And, I mean, you, that's, you've got to get that degree, get your education. So I, I, I've, I've long been a champion of the players being compensated in some way. I'm, I have Time Hop on my phone because it's an Android, and I came across a, a – a uh, post I made 11, 12 years ago, because now it's I've, I've been on social media that long, mm-hmm. where I was arguing that the players, you know, need a stipend of some kind. They need to be able to pay that they shouldn't they should be able to sell T-shirts in the in the store that has their number and, and on it, but they can't make any profit from it. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I've been pretty consistent with this. That was me 11 years ago saying this. So. I'm glad to see it's here. I know some people don't like it. I'm not in that camp. I I think the players deserve it big time. I'm right there with you. I think they do too. And to kind of close that, I was looking at this article 
uh, on Biz Women uh, Business, well, actually, technically, it's Biz Journals, um, at the Biz, Biz Women section there that was written back in April after kind of a lot of that, the thing I was referencing earlier, talking about kind of where the sports ranked in NIL. Uh, they also talked about some of the specific deals. They were talking about uh, a Yahoo Sports report that, you know, Paige Beckers can make up to $63,000 for a single social media post, which at the time was more than nine male players in the Sweet 16 combined. So nine of the male athletes who were playing in the Sweet 16 at the time uh, combined, she's making more for the, more than they were on a single social media post, uh, reportedly, because uh, she has, you know, almost a million followers at the time on Instagram, probably has more than that now. Um, she also is fi- currently filing a trademark for Paige Buckets, which I didn't know. But you also had Stanford's Haley Jones, who has uh, deals with Beats by Dre, cryptocurrency company, and also the NBA 2K video game. Uh, and then you also had Jones uh, talk, you know, different quotes and stuff here too, talking about how you know, how the, you have to, you know, build your brand while as an amateur. Um, just a lot of different stuff here. There's one other one on here from uh, South Carolina Zia Cook, and also I was Caitlin Clark signed a deal with H and R Block to highlight the, you know, talking about kind of why would why companies seem to more um, willing to work with you know the female athletes than the male athletes because for one the women have had more just seems like they are more willing to engage with their you know fans on social media but also is because many are more comfortable speaking out on social social issues excuse me which is why Cook and, and Caitlin Clark signed a deal with H and R Block apparently to highlight the inequalities uh, in college athletics in a one million dollar program called Fair Shot so. I thought it was just kind of interesting to leave it there. Um, if you all just, I, I don't know, I, I just searched kind of women's basketball NIL and there's a, the Biz Journals article. I might link it into the show notes. We'll see. But um, thought that was really just kind of a cool little in-depth thing. And again, Lady Balls, I, I imagine, again, with Rakia Jackson, with Jordan Horse and Tamari Key, um, they're going to be some high-profile NIL deals, I think, coming their way at some point too. But thank you to all of you who asked questions. Again, y'all are up here on the screen. Again, we'll have to have another Lady of All one at some point because this was fun. This is the first Lady of All specific mailbag episode that we've done. I loved it. This was fun. This is great. We'll have to do one probably closer to the season, maybe even once the season starts, uh, Maria, but maybe even have Cora on to do one as well. But I really appreciate you taking time to do this and to answer the questions. And I'm sure our, our viewers and listeners loved it as well to getting your you know, your feedback on their questions. So I let you, as always, kind of plug anything you want to plug that you've written recently or have coming down the wire. Cause I know it's in the off season, but as you said, um, <laughs> there's never really an off season technically uh, when you're, I know for my time in sports media, there's not really ever an off season. So feel free to, to plug anything you've written recently that you would like, or that's, you know, again, coming down the wire that you have or are writing currently. Um, First I want to apologize for my incredibly Poorly behaved cats, everyone but Puff, the entire evening has been nothing but disruptive. They are not team players. So I hope you enjoyed them. They have knocked, I mean, y'all won't even turn the computer so you can see my desk. They have wrecked my desk on the other side of me, just knocking things over and being general, general pest. But if there's one thing I will mention to people, this team is going to be fun to watch. Just on cue, here comes another one. Season <laughs> tickets uh, sales end this week. If you want to get yourself to allvols.com, I would highly recommend getting season tickets to see the Lady Vols basketball team this season. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to play fast. They've got shooters. they got scores. they got defenders. If you've been on the fence about season tickets, now is the time. So you got to, the end of this week to renew or buy new season ticket plans. So get over to uh allballs.com. If you break my new television, this is, okay, this is getting out of control now. They're trying to knock the television up. Well, good news is we're almost done. So, 
<laughs> so um, out here to take care of them. That was the one thing I wanted to to point out to people. And yes, two four go 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 vols two four seven dot com and um Knox TN today. In fact, I'll have a column up every Wednesday there, and I'll be writing one uh just my general thoughts stuff going on. So just uh keeping the coverage going. Appreciate you having me, Nathaniel. And you can edit out the cats or leave them in. Doesn't matter to me. Everybody can see my my poorly behaved little fur children. I'll probably leave that last bit in there. That was too funny to to cut out. So this is also the end of the show too. So <laughs> well, Maria, I'll let you go tend to the cats so they don't destroy your house. So I'm sure they're wanting attention or food or something. So I appreciate you coming on here, Maria. I appreciate it again all of you all who send in questions and who listen and watch the show every week as well. Signing off for Maria, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of Lady Vol Basketball Fever. <laughs>